Welcome to Urban Foundry. All opinions expressed by Andrew Urban, Paige O'Neill, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Collier's International, Inc. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Urban Foundry. Foundry. Welcome back to Urban Foundry. You have Andrew Urban and Paige O'Neill here today. Welcome back. Welcome back. We have an extra awesome special guest on today, Melissa St. John. Melissa, welcome to Urban Foundry. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to have you. I know. So, uh, Melissa, tell us a little bit more about yourself and relocation strategies. You have an amazing career in commercial real estate. You've had a number of different hats. Tell us a little bit, our audience, a little bit more about you. So, I purchased relocation strategies in 2007, I think the biggest biggest misperception is I think people think that I started this company. So I worked for a gentleman, it was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me if I wanted to purchase it and I didn't even hesitate. I said, yes, absolutely. I didn't know the price. I didn't know anything. I just said, yes. Mm-hmm. That tells you a little bit about my... Love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, spontaneity, how about that? But so fast forward, it's been 17 years and the company has evolved a lot. So the person I purchased the company from really started the business with the thought of, I want to advocate for you for your move, thus the name Relocation Strategies. So I came on board. I have an interior design degree. I worked at one of the largest interior design firms in the state. I worked at furniture dealerships. I've done property management, facilities management. So I kind of have a big range of experience. And I said to him, we're going to totally offer your offerings and we're going to now reimagine workplaces. We're going to offer interior design. We're going to offer furniture, bidding, specifications, AutoCAD. So everything from A to Z we can help clients with. Wow. That's an amazing background. You really touched the whole ecosystem basically. Mm-hmm. Except I don't think you've been a broker yet. I've never been a broker. Yet. I said yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's still time. There is still and, time. And you know what's funny is I've actually had people say to me that I've provided them all the information that they should have got from their broker, <laughs> which I will not mention who that was. Yeah, but I just, I, I just, I sat there and just spilled the beans. Mm-hmm. And he said, I never thought about that. Well, no one told me that. And he goes, why aren't you my broker? <laughs> I, said, I don't have a license. <laughs> yeah. but, oh, yeah, that's great. So, Melissa, kind of the antithesis for this episode really was you and I were catching up, right? It had been a while and we felt like it was time to, to sit down and just see how everyone's doing. And I think we had, went through the conversation. We kind of had a moment where we both realized we were both thinking about kind of the psychological shift mm-hmm. that the world's gone through in the past few years and how that's impacting how people look at the office, how they react to it, how they think about it in their daily lives, how employers and employees think about it. And I think we both kind of realized there was something there and it was really getting lost in a lot of the predictions and things like that. Tell me a little bit about what you think shifted, you know, fundamentally from a psychology standpoint, right? In, in how people view the workplace, what dynamics have really changed. And, and first off, I do need to say I don't have a degree in psychology. Right, of course. This but, is not psychological help. But, but I was raised by shrink my whole life, so I've gotten my whole life of free counseling. <laughs> the inside scoop. And I do have the inside scoop. That's so right. I do look at things very, very differently than your average bear. 
So I actually just attended a three-day retreat with Indiana Chamber, and it, it was very timely to learn a lot of information before I came here, but they have a mental health workplace playbook. And it, it's just very interesting to me because the word psychological safety, I keep hearing over and over and over. And really the psychological safety has been fractured. Mm-hmm. And do you know why? why? Because there's not a line between home and work anymore. Mm-hmm. So all these managers are having to have all these difficult conversations with their staff things that they really don't want to be talking about, things that are on the line of being legally and ethically, you know, making them nervous. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, you have so many employees that work from home and now they're coming in and it's just everything is different. So the stress levels are off the chart. Mm -hmm. Uh, 44% of people feel burdensome stress on a daily basis. I mean, it's, it's, and this is in the office. Right. These are office statistics. When we say burdensome stress, the way I interpret it, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is kind of the background stress, you know, where you always feel like you're juggling and there's just always another thing that, oh, I forgot about that or this, mm-hmm. or I'm worried about this or that. Is, that. is that what you mean by burdensome stress? Or how would you define it, I guess? Burdensome for me means that it's very heavy on mm-hmm. their shoulders. It's something they feel overwhelmed Another statistic that I read was 19% of people feel absolutely miserable. And that was the word. Absolutely miserable. Absolutely miserable. And this is all, again, workplace statistics. Right. It's right. not if you're out in the field paving a road. It's, it's people in the workplace. This is all about the workplace. So I'm going to tell a quick story. Okay. And I don't want to reveal who. <laughs> I'm just going to say he. Okay? okay. Someone very, very close to me worked from home for almost two years. Big, big company. Okay. And this is the thing. This is why we're having problems in the workplace now, because this person worked from home. They were very comfortable. It was very quiet. And so now they have to go back to the office and they're being told to go in three days a week. Well, this person is having total meltdown stress. And do you know why? Because it's so noisy Mm -hmm. in the office. He can't concentrate. He's constantly distracted. He's almost on stimulation overload that he can't focus. And this person is higher than Elon Musk with IQ. Okay. And, And this person has to be doing intellectual work. They're in this company. The panel height, I'm holding my hand up for the listeners, but their panel (laughs) height's about the height of my shoulders. Mm -hmm. So that means he has people sitting across from him that he has to look at. He has to listen to about Jim's divorce, um, Steve's ward on his foot, the dog that they got to put down. And so he is overstimulated with all this noise. And I say to him, let's just say D, D, that's initial. Um, Why aren't you going into one of those little breakout rooms, those little huddle rooms, little phone booth room? And why don't you just go in there and shut the door? He says, Melissa, they're full mm-hmm. all day long, every day. People come in at 6.30 in the morning and they sit in them all day long and they squat. We have no office police. I hate my job. I hate my life. I can't take this anymore. And he is about to lose it. Right. And he's right. been there a long time and he's a valuable employee. So psychological safety, let's just talk about what that yeah. definition yeah. means. It means someone that is willing to speak up and to say what they need without the fear of retaliation. Right. 
So whether that be Paige, you tell your boss, and I'm not pointing who your boss is, <laughs> but you know, I really need to leave every day at three to pick my girls up from daycare. Would that work for you? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Some people don't have the psychological safety to say that to a male boss and they just suck it up and they work till five every day and then they have to drive to the suburbs for an hour and they barely make it there by six. They have to pay late fee. They're stressed out because they don't want to ask their boss because they don't want to be seen as different than mm-hmm. their male coworker who doesn't have to do that. So we need psychological safety in management. But the reason I'm here today is to talk about psychological safety in the workplace. Going back to that person, can you go to your manager and say, this isn't working for me. Mm -hmm. I can't concentrate. I can't get my work done. So thus I'm disengaged. I'm not happy and I'm not productive. Right. You know, it's funny, Paige, You've had that conversation. I was like, wait, I I feel very seen right now. I think that was like in my interview. I was like, so I'm going to tell you right now that I'm the daycare picker upper and I'm going to have to leave every day at 3.30. Yeah. Well, and that means you're very psychologically safe here. Here. Yes. Here. Here. In this current job. And so so people that are psychologically safe are going to be more engaged. Mm -hmm. You're going to retain them longer. Yeah. And she's going to be more productive, more happy, and make this company more money. That's right. Period. And there's times where it, it, it causes compromise. But you know what? We, we have a motto, results over hours spent. And as long as we're getting the results and we figure it out and we communicate, it's great. You know, it's interesting because I have two parts of my brain. Melissa, as you know, you know, quantitative guy, went to business school, obviously went to business school to learn the soft art of management. Mm-hmm. And the thing I've been thinking about is, is you know, that this whole idea of psychological safety and this, it's not taught in business school. No. Right. Cause it's taught command and control, all the different management models, very clear hierarchies, right. An organization. And I feel, you know, and I th- and the perception I get working with our other executives doing advisory and consulting, I joke with Paige a lot of times, I feel more like a management consultant mm-hmm. than I, and then I thought, I was right. Yeah. Because we're having a lot of these organizational behavior questions because mm-hmm. there's this inert in, in a management perspective, you want to have guidelines, right? Because it clears up messiness yes. in an organization, especially if you're a larger organization above 150 people, you tend to need more structure Yes, as a result, because that's people organized by tribes mm-hmm. and over 150 psychologically, that's when you break apart into multiple tribes Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. how you kind of keep things together. On the other hand, they want to keep employees happy, Yes, but they don't know this other path, right? Of how do you create this, the safety framework? How do you Mm -hmm. create that culture Mm -hmm. and environment where people feel like they can share freely and they're not automatically shut down, dismissed, or the worst case, you know, there's retribution sought against them. Yes. So, you know, in your experience, right? Because you work with tons of companies as well, mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. What organizations have you seen do a really good job of creating this kind of social, you know, psychological safety? And the, and then on the opposite side, what are characteristics of an organization that doesn't do it very well? Okay. So I'm not an HR professional, but I'm here to speak about the workplace. Mm-hmm. And so I will tell you with the workplace, the companies that are very open to surveying their people, I give the highest accolades and applause. And so whether it be a survey that's anonymous or not anonymous, if they wish to put put their name on it. So for instance, in talking about the workplace, I will tell you, we did our productivity analysis survey, which I have patent pending to Delta Fawcett 
400 mm-hmm. people 400 people i have to applaud and clap for them because they wanted to know what do all their people need what do they want and we had the survey and it came back and overwhelmingly you know we saw what they wanted mm-hmm. and so it was anonymous but it was classified by department mm-hmm. right. so we could see that it said and i'm making this number up because i don't sure. want to reveal sure. sure but it may have said hr 90 percent of people in hr said i need an office i need a place to fire to hire to have those conversations and please please don't make me go reserve a room because i do that all day long yeah and so, you know, I've talked to companies that say they just put everybody out. They're all a, a number and they're all in this big sea of cubes. And, oh, you got to go reserve a room to do that. And they're begging me, please don't make us do that because we do it all the time every right. day. And it's a part of our job. It's essential. So you asked which companies, the companies that listen to their employees, they're giving them psychological safety because they're letting them give feedback on their workplace. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think that has to go, you know, with engagement surveys and all those Mm -hmm. things. But the companies that have that forward thinking to gather the intel, not just gather it, but do Do something, something. do something with it. So as a result, we took all those survey results. We did all the space planning for the corporate headquarters, which leads into another question I know we were going to talk about. You know, like, what are we seeing? But the thing is, people need to reimagine their space based on what their employees need. Mm-hmm. It's not what the trends are. It's not what everybody's right. saying. Every company is so different. The demographics, the everything is different. Their job description, who needs head down work. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to kind of do a little poll here in the room, <laughs> but I'm just curious by show of hands, who, when they studied in college, could study in your dorm room with the, with the I almost said lights on, radio on, TV on, door open. That was my roommate. Joy. And I wanted to just hurt her because I had to go and go to the library in the, you know, snow, walk at Purdue and go to the underground library. And I had to sit in a carol and I had to be heads down. No one talked to me. I can't see anything. Can't talk to anybody. And I got to crank out the same six chapters cram study for this test. She and I would get the same damn grade. And I'd be like, that is so not fair because I can't work like that. Mm -hmm. I can't work like that. Don't put me out in the open because I can't concentrate. I need to go to that place. So we all do. And, I mean, I'm well, not her roommate. Well, what not was her, her name, roommate. Carol. Her name was Joy. 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 <laughs> and I, I quickly switched to what another did, roommate. You know, what did Joy end up doing in life? I'm just curious. Oh, I, I don't know. No clue. I don't know. I'm just See, curious. my brother was the same way. He could, st- he could study with every distraction available. It's almost some people. And now he's a heart surgeon, but. Oh my gosh. But yeah. some people need distraction. Like yeah. she needed it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's so just weird to me. I don't get that. I don't get it. But again, it goes back to, so I don't know that I'm willing to throw companies under the bus that aren't doing it, but I'm just saying, I will say that I asked a company to administer the survey to everyone. And do you know what they said? They said, we don't want to give everyone a say. And what they did say is we're only going to give it to our executive committee (laughs) and they're going to decide and they're going to fill the survey out. And in my heart, in my gut, I'm just cringing because I'm like, You're not giving anybody a say, but they didn't want to give people what they wanted. They didn't want to give the control away. They wanted to keep it. So that's not good. No bueno. No, No, not at all. Not at all. Especially, you know, the other thing that I think about is the trauma of the last few years a lot of people have went through. Like you talked about the fusion of work and life together. Mm -hmm. 
right? How by, by sheer happenstance, I can't remember. It was like March, we'll call it 17th of 2020. Mm-hmm. Everyone's life and work life got jammed together. Yeah. Overnight. Right. And then there's a lot of people out there. And I think we forget about it that, that saw personal family traumas, mm-hmm. right. That may have major impacts in their life. Maybe a loved one passed away. Maybe someone very close to them. Maybe someone has lingering health effects. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing I noticed talking with some people is that, you know, more people feel the burden, uh, not only of childcare, but also senior care as mm-hmm. well. That's something we're not really talking about. Yep. And like you mentioned, you know, with that trauma, I think in some cases, some people are realizing like, hey, we need to be radically honest and create a safe space. But then it also gets people, other executives or companies to also kind of go the other direction, right? And be more command and control, Mm -hmm. trying to ignore maybe some of that trauma. Do you think some of our transformation is driven by trauma? in the way we're viewing the office and safety, right? Yes, the word safety. absolutely. So I read that 70% of people in the workplace either are A, going through trauma now, mm-hmm, right. or B, they have gone through trauma. And so I'll give you an example. Again, if someone has a loss of a child, a divorce, sure. whatever, and it's the anniversary date, do you have the psychological safety to go to your boss and say, I really can't work this day. Can I work from home? Or, you know what I mean? It's just, we almost need like, So we get sick days, Mm -hmm. we get PTO days. Why can't we have a mental health day? And, you know, add three days on to the year so that, for instance, if it's my anniversary date of someone that passed, I can take that day off. And you know what? No one's going to ask me. But you asked how it's changed the workplace. So I was up in Michigan looking at some furniture at some Mm -hmm. corporate headquarters, two different global companies. And I noticed, and again, they are like the, the... end all be all of research and you know the workplace and all that but there were these like how do i explain it i'm I'm talking with my hands and your listeners can't see but it's almost (laughs) like a not a cocoon but it was almost like it was these big sails like hanging from Mm -hmm. the ceiling and then they had people are bringing in all these like space dividers so it's like marker boards that roll and plants and everything but all very resumercial do you know what that means a combination of commercial and residential yeah so I feel that people need to feel more comforted with the soft, ancillary, cushy furniture. But then also it was the way they were dividing the space so that you felt like you were safe in a cocoon. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. No, it does. It's something I've noticed too, Melissa, is there's been more of what I call a living room effect. Yes. Kind of, you know, even in, you know, Paige, when we toured Willis Tower, Mm -hmm. you know, was a a few weeks ago, you know, some of their amenity floors felt Mm -hmm. more like... Lounge, Lounges. living rooms, yeah. yes. very, very much inviting, inviting warmth, yes. right? Tone and texture. And then it was interesting that you mentioned the boards and the ability for people to kind of create their own cocoons. Yes. In their own way that they're comfortable that with. That they could pull it in or they could open it up. I mean, so ways to create psychological safety in the workplace. One of the aspects is flexibility. Mm. Give that person the flexibility to change their own space. Right. I mean, I saw cubicles up in Michigan, and I'm not plugging anybody, but I'm just saying that literally the cubicle was able to be turned. I'd never seen that before, so it's a new thing. Like, it was on wheels. And so it's like, as long as it's plugged in electrically, that person could decide, do I want to face 
page or do I want to face the wall or do I want to face the aisle way as long as it wasn't pulling too far away from the <laughs> spline where the power was. Right. But again, you give people freedom and flexibility. They feel more in control mm-hmm. because again, I may want to look at page all day because we're talking about a project. The yeah. next day I may need to turn the other way. So there's a whole list of things. Privacy is one of them. Mm-hmm. And if you give that person who doesn't want to sit at the low paneled a way to go in and get that space to be private and there's not only three, but maybe there's 20 of those rooms. And then if everybody's in those rooms and you scratch your head and go, well, you know what? Maybe that open office with the low panels isn't working for everyone. Right. Do you guys know that 50% of people in the world are introverts? Mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> but can you imagine sitting across from me and I'm a talker and you're an introvert? It gives me energy to talk. Right. You can tell right off the bat who does not get energy from talking all day. And don't put them in front of somebody like me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because come on, right. you're going to stress them out. That right. is causing stress. So a way to get privacy, a way to have flexibility, uh, connections. So you talked about all these lounge areas. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now from the surveys that I've seen, where the companies are giving them full disclosure to say what they want, right. mm-hmm. there's a certain percentage of people, and you know this, that never want to go in again. Correct. Mm-hmm. But but guess what? We're going to have an ice cream social. And Paige, you need to come in because it's somewhat required, but I can't make you. Mm-hmm. But you know, it'd be really nice. Wink, yeah. wink. So Paige comes in and she has the ice cream social. But the thing is, she may only go in. I don't know why I'm picking on you, but she, right. she may only go in just to have coffee with Andrew. Yeah. Well, that's why you're seeing all these social areas Correct. because she's not going to go in and work. She just wants to go in and have coffee with Andrew. Mm-hmm. And guess what? A lounge area is way nicer yeah. than sitting at a hard seat <laughs> table right. and putting your elbows on the table. Like she wants to lean back and have a conversation and have coffee. Why do you think the floor at Salesforce, the top floor, mm-hmm. the Ohana floor yeah. is the most buzzing place in that building? Yeah. Because if you go up there in the morning, the coffee barista, the smells, everybody wants to be there. Everybody's chatting and talking. That's connectivity. Provide yeah. the food and they will come. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. easy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, it's true. And there's psychology. I remember this from years ago. I think it was, I was, you know, you mentioned the furniture companies or dealers, co- corporate headquarters up in Michigan, right? There's two big brands up there, right? Miller Knoll and obviously Steelcase, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I was at Steelcase. This was probably 10 years ago at okay. this point. And they were, you know, with their research team, I think you probably know, know of the team. They do some amazing things. And they were talking about, this is when the term pallets of posture was kind of coming into workplace. It would always kind of existed, but it was becoming a hot topic. And they talked about the difference in psychology based on the type of room and how people were seated based on the certain types of interactions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in a room with a table, people tend to be more formal. Yes. Right. Yes. And they, they built around this hierarchy, like this table that we're at for our listeners, it's a rectangle in a square conference room, traditionally laid out, nothing special, but people tend to be a little more formal, more rigid, more mm-hmm. orderly because mm-hmm. you're kind of, you know, you're there, but if you're in a room like the one across the hall, that's just lounge chairs, zero desktop, yeah, very much kind of like a living room almost, Yes, you're going to be more informal. Right. Yes. And I think that's interesting. And and throughout my career, you know, as a leader, et cetera, I've always been trying to be very deliberate in the type of room I pick because I want to encourage a certain behavior. Yes. Right. As a team, we're collaborating page. I like that. What I call like the nap room mm-hmm. on the fourth floor a lot. Cause it's, 
it's it's you know it's, yeah. it's couches and lounge I'm, chairs and yeah I'm thinking about it I'm laughing because we definitely had a meeting in there and I think I even sat on the floor and like put my computer on the coffee table because I was like oh this is going to be more comfortable for yeah. me than yeah sitting up here did you crisscross applesauce I think I did <laughs> <laughs> I think I use that exact term because I can't quite do that anymore <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what she can yeah. so if yeah. she can she should do and it I did yeah, yeah but I thought about that moment and I was we were trying to we were collaborating on something like we didn't have an immediate objective for that meeting other than we wanted to share information brainstorm some ideas and then come back maybe in a more formal setting to say okay let's put our action plan together here sure and I and I think about that a lot and I think about that as a leader going well you know, you have to be much more deliberate, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that, you know, kind of speaking of that is I joked, I was feeling more like a management consultant or a behavior coach with some of our clients, but some of it's been coaching around communication. Oh my gosh. To be deliberate, You're to be thoughtful, right? Because not only are people feeling this with the workplace, but communication around changes in the workplace mm-hmm. also need to be very deliberate, very concise, very thought out. Mm-hmm. because these are big, stressful changes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. give me some of your thoughts around, okay, companies doing the right thing. They're listening. Okay, we're going to make some change. There's psychology behind this. How do we, how, do, how, how are companies changing their implementation and change management of these things? Oh my gosh, that's, because such, of a the good, psychology. that's such a good question. So change management, people didn't even know what that meant. My sister is like a black belt, Six Sigma, Mm -hmm. PMP, whatever. Anyway, all these crazy engineering terms. But anyway, when I told her that we started offering change management, she goes, what do you mean? Like she offers change management. There's so many different definitions, but I'll give you an example. So First Internet Bank, the reason why it's so important, you just nailed it. Because before we turn the air on, Paige and I were talking about who has the loudest voice and it's the employee. So employees need to be informed. Employees need to feel safe. Employees need to know what's happening. So when we moved First Internet Bank, they called me and they said, we need you to do change management. I mean, it wasn't like I was going after it. They just said, you know what? We know that you're doing the move management, but you need to add the change management. So what I'm going to tell you is you're saying, why is it important? Why should we do it? Because we have to make sure that that employee is so happy, so taken care of, so pampered is the word I'm going to use. We created a booklet and literally this booklet, you know, was digital. It was Mm -hmm. paper. We put little placemats on their table, but it was to give them every step by step of what was going to happen, what was going to change, how is it going to affect the way that you schedule meetings? Where are you going to go out to lunch? I literally went door to door in Fishers, knocked on like 25 businesses doors and I got coupons for buy one meal, get one free, get a free massage. We, we put this little package. How do you think every employee felt when they sat in that chair and they found all of these goodies and discounts and a massage and all these things on their desk? And there's a frequently asked questions page. Hey, I can't get in. My password isn't working. Well, then you call this number. Well, what happens here? You call this number. Everybody felt so happy. Mm-hmm. And what did I just say earlier? If your employees are happy, they're engaged. If they're engaged, they're productive. If they're productive, the company makes more money. Everybody wants that. Right. Right. So go out of your way to make your employees happy. Whatever you have to do, because right. the end game is worth it. Yeah. And again, it's all, it sounds like a bunch of touchy-feely. I know 79% of your listeners are male. I looked into that. <laughs> but, but guess what? 
it's really, really important in attracting and retaining. Right. When you interview someone, you ask them right off the bat, what's your favorite candy? You put that on their damn desk on their first day. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, they were listening to me. And you know what? They had my computer set up and they had my phone set up. How many times have we been at jobs where they don't have anything set up and you have to sit there for hours because they don't have their <laughs> shit together? I'm like, oh no, Sam just started. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, don't answer that. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have a mic. Thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> Sam, the intern's listening today. Um, but no, I think, Melissa, my biggest thing is I see a ton and you see it too because we, we follow the same industry journals and right. There's a ton of thought around what to change. Mm-hmm but not how to implement it. And I just think that is the biggest miss yes. I see companies do time yes. and time again is they hire all the great, really brightest people to help them come up with the change. And and the problem, I, I think a lot of it is, is proximity bias because mm-hmm. you're in the room with other execs. You guys are maybe that level's collaborating really well and they're all bought in on the strategy, right? And they say, oh, great, Melissa, Andrew, we got this plan. This is awesome. Go do it, mm-hmm. right? And we go do it and we deliver them the keys at some point or you get done with the relocation portion of it and they move in and they just go, all right, everyone's going to love this, right? And that's it, right? And that was the communication. Hey, we're moving to a new office. This is the address, 8 a.m. on this date, all your stuff, pack your stuff, right? And it's very tactical. I feel like going, Err. Right, because you know, it's such a miss, yeah, right? Because, and, because you know? I'm going to tell you how detailed and how long it took for us to do first internet change management. Yeah, It took us almost eight months. So I'm going to tell you why. Because there were so many people involved. Because I want you to think of everything that changes if you go from point A to point B. So literally, we had to meet with the IT people. How's all the technology going to change? How are you going to schedule the room? How's the microphones going to be different? I mean, you have people, you have five different age groups in the workforce now. So you think of people over a certain age. I'm not pointing at myself, but how do you, how do you use this? You know, so they, they literally had to, you know, we prompted them. We had meetings once a month. We said, these are the things you need to give us. We need to know which technology is going to be which in, in which room. We had floor plans that said, if you're going to schedule a room, this room has this microphone, this room has a camera because everybody had to know mm-hmm. and they had to be able to schedule meetings before they got into right. the building. So technology's one, we had to have the HR people because think of all the things that changes in HR. So again, we had to prompt them and give them all these questions. So yes, you have people in companies that do it, but who's the facilitator that pulls all those, HR, yeah. IT, um, parking, keys, you know, all the things involved And then on top of that, amenities. How do you use the amenities? Where are the amenities? What are the hours of the amenities? You know, they put in a fitness center. So then on top of that, you have to make them feel happy and good about it and not like, damn it. Yeah. I don't want to do this. Right. You know, because again, happy, happy, happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? So again, it's giving them information. So we would hold town halls. People could come, they could ask whatever questions. It has to have the leadership involved. So they're encouraging those questions so that somebody's not going to get shunned. You know, like, hey, am I going to get a window seat? You know, like, I just really want to know. I've been here 20 years. Am I going to get a window seat? Well, let's provide the floor plan with the names on it so people know where they're sitting. It's not like just the last, we're not in a dictatorship anymore. (laughs) We have to have people be informed. We have to have people be knowledgeable. We have to have people have buy-in. Correct. And especially given the trauma and, and, and psychology behind it, I think, you know, the biggest miss is under communication. Mm-hmm. 
to any change period. And I feel like, you know, communication now with so many other distractions has gotten so much more difficult to cut through the noise, right? Mm -hmm. You almost have to err on the side of over communicating to the point of like, you know, you almost feel like you're being a dead horse because, you know, you have to reach people and de-stresses the change for them. If they kind of understand how do I interact with this new space? What's expected of me? And I think the delicate balance too, though, is between those two things is, you know, what's empowerment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How do we empower and enable versus, you know, at what point do we cross that line into control? Yeah. And I've always felt like that's always the most difficult thing to go. How much rope do we give our people mm-hmm. to make the right decisions? Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel, you know, recently some of those lines have been blurred, you know, a little yes. bit of, of around that because, you know, part of it is, you know, you, you kind of, we get a lot of calls where clients go, Hey, I've been looking out of my office space. It's been vacant. Well, I say, well, what time are you looking? Cause if it's 7am on a Monday, it's probably going to be vacant. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. If it's 2pm on a Friday afternoon with hybrid, it's going to be vacant. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're using that as your metric, you know, guess what? It's always going to look that way. Yeah. <laughs> Bad news yeah. for you. Right. Um, but you know, what times are it busy? And they, well, I don't know because I'm in meetings all day. Well, let's, let's hire the right people to figure that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But do you see a shift in where that balance is? Because it sounds like, and I agree with you, we need to empower employees more. We have to listen. Right. But at what point, you know, is there, is there a limit there? Right. Mm-hmm. That companies should think about or, or how, what kind of boundaries do we need to put on that? You know, as we think about that, or is every organization different? Is that you, the answer? You said this earlier yeah. and I loved it. I'm almost interjected, but Please. when you said people need structure, yeah. just like how children need parents Correct. with structure, employees need structure because if it's gray and ambiguous, people get upset. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm just going to say you have, some, and I don't mean to keep picking on women cause I'm a woman, but, <laughs> but women with children, let's just say yeah. it's very different for them now. They feel that they can come up and they can say, you know what? I'm having an e-learning day tomorrow with my child. Can I work from home? Well, this guy next to me who doesn't have a kid at home, he's already getting ticked off. Why can't mm-hmm. I work from home? So it's just not going back. Yeah. And so some companies, I'm going to say, yes, it's different for everyone. And do you know why? Because again, I said earlier that demographics are different and people's job descriptions are different. But what I highly applaud, what I highly recommend is that these companies do have structure yeah. and they stick to it. Yeah. So again, I know of a company right now where they literally, I, I cannot tell you who said this, but they said, we don't care. Butts in seats, eight to five, Monday through Friday. And I just cringed and I just went, so if... Steve is closing 10 loans a week before COVID and then he can close 10 loans a week after COVID. Why can't he work from home? He said, because it's butts and seats. And I said, do you have any KPIs, key performance indicators that would help Steve work from home? He says, no, it's butts and seats. And so you have companies like that that are not going to budge. Then you have companies that are saying hundred percent back, but what I applaud and what I'm, you keep hearing me say applaud. I want to clap into the microphone, but (laughs) is the companies that, that give structure and say two days a week or three days a week, and they just do a blanket statement. Some people are saying, you pick which days, but you know what? For me in my office, I say everybody has to be in on Mondays. That is my day. And you know why? It's because that's the day I have my staff meetings. It's the day I meet with accounting. It's the day I meet with my project managers. It's the day that I look at the schedule. I just get the whole week planned out. And then I haven't worked five days a week in my office since 2020. Do you know why? Because I'm more productive at home Correct. on two days a week. Mm-hmm. And I can sit 
That's how I work. I already told you that I have to work in a carol at the library, <laughs> but I have to sit down. I write my proposals. I'm heads yeah. down. I do a lot of my article reading. I'm quiet. I, I do all the things I need to do. Mm-hmm. And so I don't even know who's in my office on Tuesdays and Thursdays because results driven. Yeah. But to answer your question, if they give structure and so they know I'm in the office on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. They are in Monday, Wednesday, Friday because I think they want to be where I am. Right. Because <laughs> they know if I get, yeah. if I get a new project from Andrew, I'm going to go give it to the person that's sitting there right next to me. Hey, get on this. Andrew wants it right away. Yeah. But if they're at home, we know those people don't get the mm-hmm. good stuff because they're out of sight, out of mind. Correct. Mm-hmm. But yeah, structure, structure, structure. Be fair because everybody needs to be equitable and fair mm-hmm. and try as hard as you can to just have structure. That's what I think is the best solution. Right. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, it's funny as you say that, I mean, our, our structure is very similar, you know, and, um, you know, we try to provide consistency. I try to be in the office every day, but you know what, that's for me, but you're a man. Right. And so he tries. So on Fridays, well, I'm not calling, I'm not putting you on blast, but I'm going to, (laughs) he'll text me like, it's so lonely here. I'm like, it's Friday. We have three o'clock summer Fridays. No one's coming in on a Friday. I'm just going to tell you how it is. I know. I know. <laughs> but, but I'll buy you a teddy bear and like sit it on your desk. But you know what? Statistically, more yeah. men want to yeah. be in the office Correct. than women. Because they don't want to be home with the distraction of the children they, or no, the wives. They don't want or, a, a honey-do list. Yes. Because I'll tell you right now, if my husband was working from home, I would be like, did you take the dogs out? Did you take the dogs on a walk? Did you pick up the stuff in the backyard? <laughs> and he would be like... I'm out of here. I'm going to work all day. Oh, see, when Scott works from home, he's like, I'm working. I am not here. <laughs> you are. You asked me for a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. I, and for me, I, 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 for some of it is it's, it's, it's a little bit deeper psychologically, mm-hmm. right? Like I view home as I'm a separate person. Oh, okay. So there's, there there's, there's work me and then there's home me. They are not the same person. Yeah. You know, right? And I don't know if it's a veneer facade or a different hat that I wear, but for me, it's very deliberate. It's kind of like I, I view a lot of things through sports metaphors. Mm-hmm. I have a uniform, I get dressed, I go to the stadium, I do my pregame prep, I'm here for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And then when I go home, I am not doing this, right? And that's the only way I was able to develop kind of that work life. Okay, sure. here's who I am here, here's who I ha- am here. I'm not good at multitasking. Terrible at it. So awful at it. I can't wear two hats at the same time. Most men are. That's but I'm also <laughs> but I'm true. also looking at Andrew right now and I'm guessing it takes him twelve minutes to get ready in the morning. No, I I have a lot of face creams. That's okay. that's, that's that he's people. a different he's so, a different I know, person. I know, but I even <laughs> added time on because I yeah. know how particular he yeah. is. Like probably it's eleven minutes you're picking out your outfit. Sorry, because he's so well-dressed. You're so well-dressed. But I'm just like looking at you. But fact for your male listeners, fact. Because again, this is for them to be more empathetic to women. Right. Okay. Women spend $6,000 a year on this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On nails, on facials, on hair, on toenails, all that stuff. So we can look the part. And it takes time, T-I-M-E, to do all that for us to look like we look. Men spend about $500 a year on their personal appearance, haircut, great clips, <laughs> and then nothing else. Right. Their wife picks out their clothes. I'm just saying, I know, right. Andrew, I know Andrew picks out his own clothes. Yes. yes. But, but, but my point is, with that statistic, with that dollar right. amount, and the fact, again, I'm not saying woe is me, I'm not saying that, but women still do the majority of the stuff at home. 
True. They do. No, it's true. The, so, the surveys so, so and the data women, point to that. Women yeah, are right. doing it all at home, and we're spending $6,000 a year on average doing all of our makeup, hair, right. all that stuff, which takes time to go get that stuff done. We save time Correct. by working at home because we can use that hour and a half commute to get, get our nails done, like at, right down the street from our house right. on our right. lunch hour. We can use that time for other things. Time is money. Yeah. And so for me, I'm going to say as a woman who's highly, highly multitasking is that I can do it all and I can get more done at home because then I can get my shit done yep. and do my work yep. and I have an office and I can shut the door. So again, I'm lucky that I have an office. There are people out there that don't have home offices and I'm going to give you a new word because this is really awesome. Mm-hmm. I have an employee that has three kids during COVID. She did tremendous because she worked from home. But I asked her, I'm like, how did you do that? Because I know she has a three bedroom house and they all have, you know, she doesn't have an office. Mm -hmm. So she made up an office and she calls it her clawfice. So she goes into her master bedroom, shuts Uh the door. She goes into her closet, Closet. shuts the door. And she has literally a desk in there that she can, because that's the only place that she can have a Zoom call. Yeah, that's quiet. She's so multitasking, brilliant. She'll set up a video and she can go into her clawfice. But a lot of people don't have an office at home. Yeah. So again, I'm giving you the female point of view because it's just Important. different. Mm-hmm. It's different yeah. for us. Well, they they probably make fun of me because any day that I'm working from home, I am never on video because I'm like, I don't look the same when I'm working <laughs> from home versus when I'm working you know in the office. Because you have your hair in a ponytail and you are so happy. Are you happy? Yes. <laughs> they, they I, I joke that I wash my hair twice a week and it's the before... I come into the office on Monday and Wednesdays. <laughs> yeah. The whole hair washing routine as a man, I don't, I don't think I fully appreciate, but I, I've, I've learned to, but, I, but the work-life balance, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. That, that is it. Mm-hmm. It is called work-life balance. And if women can have more work-life balance, you're going to get more women back into the workforce right. because millions of women have dropped out of the workforce. That's right. Millions. And so yeah. if we're having a workforce shortage, how do we get the women in? We have to be more empathetic onto what they need. That's the word. And if you see my scribbles here, it I circled that a couple of times, right? Because it's been a word I myself have been trying to demonstrate more empathy. Good. Over the last couple of years, right? It's been very deliberate on my part. And it's a word that's consistently every morning when I'm going through my affirmations, et cetera, I'm thinking about like be empathetic, mm-hmm. understand, seek to understand the opposite perspective from your own mm-hmm. and try to try to learn something and adapt to it. And I, and I think about that and I think about trauma and I think about the psychology of it. And the one thing that I kind of keep coming back to is you need to do as a leader of an organization, making a big decision, whether it's your office space or others, you need to demonstrate empathy. Yes. Right. And it's a word that I think has a lot of power to it. Mm-hmm. And just like Everyone, you know, Paige and and Melissa, you guys were describing some of these experiences, right, that I can't directly relate to, but I have to think about it, right? Mm -hmm. And I have to empathize with it to understand it a little bit better. And and I think the biggest hurdle is it takes effort and it takes that moment to say, okay, I need to be empathetic in this moment and I need to shut up and listen, which is, as Paige will tell you, very (laughs) difficult for me to do. No. (laughs) (laughs) And my wife would attest to that as well. But I, I think... It's really interesting you bring up the E word because empathy through all this, I think, is one of the common themes. If you really want to transform your organization, you have to have empathy and humility to listen. Yeah. And as a leader, sometimes I feel like because we've been in crisis mode for three years, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's 
COVID shutting down the economy, causing a bullwhip effect on supply chains and pricing. And then inflation's going crazy. Now interest rates are going crazy and inflation's coming down, but not quick enough. What does this mean for my business? Sales are slowing. I need to produce margins. I have investors and shareholders. A lot of times as a leader, you default to action Mm -hmm. in those cases. Mm -hmm. But it also means sometimes you don't display empathy. You don't listen yeah. because you go, you know what? Buck stops with me. I got to make a call here. I know I'm not going to make everyone happy, but at the end of the day, I got to, I got to save the organization. Mm -hmm. It's the hero complex or whatever. We're, we're not exhibiting empathy in moments of trauma or crisis, mm -hmm. but it's sometimes that's when we need to do it the most. And it's really difficult to, to step back when you feel like you need to do something. So I want to give you a number. Okay. So I don't know why 70 keeps coming up, but this is the number. Managers account for 70% of the variance of employee engagement. Everybody's heard you quit because of the boss. Mm -hmm. Manager, boss, same thing. Yeah, same. Yeah. But I want to really think about that. If we had more management training on empathy, you could really curb that 70% variance of employee engagement. And I really am a broken record, but I can't stress enough. You can have all the numbers you want, Andrew, mm -hmm. but if people are pissed off and angry yes. and not engaged, you're going to get nothing out of them. Right. It's so simple. Right. It's so simple. And again, I use all this on my own people. <laughs> I do. And when yeah. I say use it on them, yeah. they know what I mean. I right. mean, I literally posted last week, we had Massage Monday wouldn't want a masseuse to come to their office and massage everyone. Mm -hmm. My treat gave everyone massage Monday. Sam's going to jump ship and go work for you. Um, <laughs> you guys. Sam, you've never eaten a salad? <laughs> Wait, the guy doesn't have a mic. I shouldn't, I shouldn't go into him if he can't rebut. Right? Sam, just for everyone listening, is an intern and he's in here with, he's listening and he's smiling really big and he's, he's turning his whole body towards me, body language, like, what? Massage Monday? Yeah. But, but I'm saying... I give my staff things that no one else does because I need them to stay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's very important to me because they are my livelihood. I can go out and do what I do, but if I don't have people in my office, yeah. to, go and do so much. You know, I'm going to go spear the fish. They're going to fry the fish up. And so I treat them like liquid gold. I mean, I actually had to let someone go during COVID and I, I'm proud to say, I, I just, I'm going to get, you know, tearful here. She came back mm -hmm. and she said it was the worst experience I've ever had working for someone else. Please. Can I come back? And so wow. she's back and she's one of my best. And I just was like, Oh my God, thank God. She came <laughs> back. But she went out there, out there into the mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. And she said it was the worst. She said the boss was the worst. The culture was the worst. And she just got the heck out of there. The minute the economy started picking up and came and pounded on my door and said, I want to come back. And I said, I'm so glad you don't hate me and you can come back. But I set the stage and I treat my people like liquid gold. I ask them constantly, what do you think? Mm -hmm. What did you learn? And my first boss taught me this. I'm sure you guys all know this. And again, it's funny. I always think people know stuff that I know, but you know what? They don't know a lot True. of the things I know because I'm older, right, Paige? So, <laughs> but the one minute manager, it's literally like probably 25 pages, yeah, the book. Another book, yeah. And my first boss gave it to me and I'll never forget in my life. He said, one minute manager, it's a sandwich. You give them a minute of praise, a minute of constructive mm -hmm. criticism, and then a minute of praise. You can't just take somebody in and give them constructive criticism and make them feel bad and mm -hmm. then send them out. You have to send them out happy and, and wanting to do more. How do, you, 
how do you do that? I, I've never given criticism to my people without sandwiching it with good. And yeah. that should be the way you treat your wife. Mm-hmm. That's the way you should be <laughs> to people in general is, you know, Hey, you do a really great job of mowing the lawn, but can you do this too? Yeah. You, you know, it's like, give them some boost. It's all psychology. It is. Cause you want them to feel good and mm-hmm. happy. And so, you know, I would say that's the secret to my success is really, really communicating and helping people decipher what they need mm-hmm. and then implementing it and listening and giving people, you know, exactly what they need to succeed. No, I think that's a good point. And I think your, your point on, I think a lot of management philosophies can be rewritten. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about business school and all those organizational behavior classes and management and strategy. And, you know, I think in in my experience, you know, things like culture and then really as a leader, right. Having to, to walk it, mm-hmm. not just put it on a board and then you can use command and control to, to get whatever results. I think a lot of that, you know, for a lot of industries is, is, is going away, receding really quickly and the results, you know, whether they're financial or otherwise are kind of shaking themselves out. Um, you know, and I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, in the next it's really going to take 10, 15 years as the, as continued research comes out, because I think a lot of it, we like to think about this in the tangible, tangible when we think about workplace, right? Cause it's easy to see, but I think a lot of the psychology is really going to be what's driving it. And maybe Mm -hmm. for the first time in a while, we're actually really digging into it more so than, than we had before because of the paradigm shift where, you don't need to be physically a butt in a seat to do your job anymore. Mm-mm. Technology enables us to be anywhere and do anything from our phones, from our tablets, from our laptops, yeah. really seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I, I, you know, I think back to when I started, um, you know, in, 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 in professional world, 2009, you know, 10, 11, that time frame, and how, you know, there's Blackberries, but they were not, you could do emails and mm-hmm. BlackBerry Messenger. Sam, you don't know what that is, <laughs> but <laughs> it was a thing a long time ago. Um, I had a sidekick for a while. A sidekick, yeah. And and but that wasn't the same as you know getting on a Teams call and you can be in person here yeah. right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. I can access any file that's on my computer from this and yeah. send it from wherever. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. that's remarkably empowering. But at the same time, if you have a command and control structure and culture, and this is the great liberator you got to find a new, new tune to sing as an organization. And I think that's what a lot of companies are going through is that cultural transformation. And in some cases, what I call it the existential moment where you kind of first see your reflection in the mirror and going, oh crap, I don't really like it. Because mm-hmm. the veneer that command and control presents to you is stripped away. I think it's also, what's the chain of command look like? What's the yeah. succession there? If it's it's not going to be the same way that it was. No. It has it changed yeah. forever. It's not going well, back. I still think we're going through that grieving process. A lot of leaders are going through the grieving process saying, gosh, I, w- I wish it would go back to December, 2019. Well, let right? me remember. <laughs> That's and grief. I don't, I don't think people can let it go. But, but the very first question we talked about yeah. was difficult conversations. And mm-hmm. one just popped into my head. I've had to have this difficult conversation and it made me so sick to my stomach because one of my employees, I will not mention, yeah. but I'm just saying we were getting on a pretty important team's call and she didn't have her camera on. Let's just talk mm. about that. Yeah. And so me as, the, me as the owner, I know how important it is to show up and be present. And you know what? Whether she did her hair or makeup, <laughs> whatever, but she knew this was an important call. Like it wasn't yeah. 
you know, it wasn't just your. It wasn't the fiftieth call with this client. They know, no, and they go, "Oh, no. you know what? Someone it's, might not be feeling well." Whatever. We're pitching. We're yeah. you know, we, it wasn't in person, but right. it was a matter of we were pitching. I want to introduce them to someone. Let's get on the call. And I just wanted to throw up because she showed up with no camera. And again, that's a difficult conversation because again, managers are being put into these positions where it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it, and so going back to strategy and um, structure, yeah. if you don't have a policy mm-hmm. in your company, then it's ambiguous and gray. So then it made me look like a jerk because <laughs> I had to say, so-and-so, gosh, you know, I really wish your camera would have been on because I wanted them to meet you. And that was the whole purpose. And she was like, well, you know, I didn't have my makeup on. I'm like, oh my gosh. So now moving forward, if it's a first time call, second time call, actually, if it's a third time call with a new client, we got to show up. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe if it's the 10th or 11th call, you can, you can slack off and not do your makeup that day. But, But again, I just, that was so difficult for me because I didn't have anything in place and structure, but I had to almost scold her and say, can't you figure that out? That that was really important to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you were being introduced and they see a black screen. They can't connect with you. They can't. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's no yeah. intimacy. Yeah. So right? you have to create in a digital world, you have to create forms of intimacy. But that's where it's so gray because I'm it saying is. nobody's, I'm just going to say it. Nobody's brave enough to make rules. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so then again, how do you make those rules? Yeah. I think you also have to have a little intuition of like, if it was just our interpersonal team, yeah. I'm probably not going to get on. She's camera. like, I'm not doing makeup today. I'm not doing it. Yeah. No. But if we're like talking to a, cl- I mean, one of our clients is different, but <laughs> if we're talking to a client, then I'm probably going to be on camera. And I've yelled at some of our guys. I'm like, you guys have to be on camera. But, but that's the thing is some people will, some people won't. And it's like, where's the structure? So again, if you go to a parenting child relationship, the kid's going to get away with murder. If you don't say you can't have candy before dinner. Right. And you know what? If there's no rule, they're going to do it. I was raised by a shrink. I had a lot of rules. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sure. A lot of rules. But, but, but what I love about it is that I knew where I stood. Yeah. You do this, you get a reward. You do this, you don't get candy after dinner. Whatever. It's right. like, you know, I knew if I talked back, I would get my phone time taken away. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. The landline. That's a phone that's connected to the wall by a cord, <laughs> just so you know. All right. Just oh wanted to make gosh. sure that was clear. We have to we have to explain these yes. things. I know. Right? Or oh, how about this? I'd pull the yellow cord from the kitchen, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was probably 10 feet long, and I'd yep. pull it as long as I could around the corner into the dining room so I could talk to Larry, my boyfriend. Oh, that's yeah. That's right. Larry had to call. It was like probably hoping the whole time. Because I remember I was, you know, generationally, we still had landlines. We have to call people. <laughs> you just hope you answer. didn't get that girl's dad. Like that was what you were hoping. You're like, oh, hi, yeah. Mister So and So, or yeah. is, is 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 you know Melissa there, right? <laughs> and you're fumbling, and then you try to sound cool, and she picks up. But yeah. Was, you know, oh my goodness, gosh, that beauty of that, <laughs> Melissa. Kind of to to wrap up. You know, where do you see things going from here? Who do you th- what do you see the traits of companies that are being successful? I know we've talked about those. You know, what are things executives, leaders, people in the industry can start thinking about more to understand the psychology? Where are you finding all this great information, I guess, is another another way of asking that question. Well, where I'm finding it is, is just a compilation of all the results I'm getting mm-hmm. from all the different companies. Right. So a project I'm working on right now, I'm just going to tell you, we have three modes of work. You asked me where this is going. Yeah, right. And so we determine three modes of work and just coincidentally, they're on three floors. 
So what we did is we literally made one floor a mode of work that was all conference rooms. Mm-hmm. Like literally, that's Just where meetings. clients come in. That's where, you know, board happens. It's like there was a big um, coffee bar and reception. And then the next floor is quiet zone working only. Yeah. Like literally. It's like a library. Quiet like, zone working only for like this whole floor. And then the other floor, the top floor, is social hub gathering we put in booths we put in a you know big granite countertop and so again they know which mode of work they're going to go to and they abide by it and Mm -hmm. they don't bother everyone else because again going back the number one thing i'm seeing that companies are struggling with is noise yep and people can't concentrate so we had it in our office that's where i'm seeing it's true people moved away from you (laughs) oh andrew (laughs) So you asked where it's going. I I think that you have to respect the individual and it's not just Mm -hmm. respect. It's ask the individual like on their very first day, have that be a part of the onboarding and interview process to say, Andrew, how do you work? Do you go to, to a library, Carol, and have heads down? Or did you study in your room with all the TV and, you know, everything on? I said, what is your mode of work? What do you prefer? And what percentage? Like, again, we cover this like in a survey mode for everyone. But I still think on the first day, like I literally just hired somebody yesterday. And she's got 13 years of experience. I did not put her out in the open where I have kind of like my younger people because I know they all need to sit next to each other and ask questions and talk. And then I have a senior person out there. But since she's got 13 years of experience, I literally put her in an office so that she could have heads down work because I know that's how she works. Yeah. I gave her that. And again, it was really important. And she was like ear to ear so happy because she doesn't need to be asking everybody 20 questions. Right. Right. She, she just needs to get her job done. Right. And I know she's a mom and I know she's on limited time. And another way that the, these moms work and Paige can chime in, <laughs> the way I worked as a mom is I knew I just had to go in, get my stuff done get and get done. out. And I didn't have a whole lot of time to chit chat because I didn't want to work from, I didn't want to go home and work two or three hours. Right. Right. So these moms have a different mentality. It's like they want to get in, get it done, get out. Not one of my employees ever go out to lunch. And do you know why? Because they all want to work through lunch and they all want to leave at four. Yeah. And I don't care. Yeah, fine. Yeah. But but that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So they are like down to business, getting it done, get out the door, pick up kids. I have all women. Mm-hmm. I would totally hire a man if you sent me a resume. I'm just saying I don't have very many male resumes that right. want to be interior designers and project managers. Right. So that's the, I think you bring up a good point. I think there is more bifurcation in a good way of like picking your mode of work for the day, for the task, for the hour. Mm-hmm. The biggest analogy, and I and I always joke in our industry, Melissa, you've, you've been in it longer than I, but I've always find that we, we're, we're ourselves are siloed a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And so corporate interiors within a big architectural firm doesn't always interact with education practices and others. And I think there's a lot we can learn from corporate interior standpoint by looking at education. Mm-hmm. Because college campuses in a lot of ways mm-hmm. have been thinking about this, right? If you ever walk around Purdue, you went I was to Purdue. just there. Yep. I went to grad school there. Paige, went you went there. there. You, you go to Wabash, but I'm we'll sure you can you. imagine <laughs> Purdue. You can imagine Purdue. You know, it's interesting because you'll see desks and you go to the student union and right, there's all these different pallets of posture, places where people can just plop down. There's quiet corners that they can go seek out. There's collaboration areas and it's all modular, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think about it and I go, why haven't corporations picked up on this? 
right? I know the answer. Pick me, pick me. Go ahead. I know Melissa? because I've talked to so many brokers yeah. and they want numbers. Yeah. And do you know what they, and, and do seats. you know what they've told? No, you know what they've told me? They've been told by the CEOs to cram in as many people into the space, square footage per person. Yeah. And I've explained to them how important all this is. And they said, they don't care about that. They just want to get as many people in the space as possible. Yeah. And so if that's the case, there's not room for these amenities. Yeah. And they're going to soon find out that that's way more important than cramming in as many people as possible. Yeah, I agree. And, and we're already seeing early trends of square feet per seat going up. Yeah. And it's because more and more of the space is dedicated to these other uses. But sorry to interrupt. I know you're no. going about education. But I think education is a great way to learn from uh, airports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think about the best airports, your favorite airports in the world, why are they your favorite? Well, they're easy to navigate. You have mm-hmm. a choice. Are you going to shop? Are you going to eat? Are you going to dine? Are you going to go relax? Mm-hmm. Right? And you think about that, and it's easy navigation. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not hard to comprehend. It's not, you know, no offense to JFK, but like JFK is a mess. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, one of my favorite airports in North America is Detroit. Mm. Detroit's airport is very easy to, to navigate fairly simple. There's both monorail and non, you can walk. It's fairly linear, Mm -hmm. fairly thought out and a good mixture of uses. I think about that. And I also think about education and I even think about entertainment Mm. and how those spaces are being articulated in new ways, designing around human behavior and psychology. So the question is, is why is the workplace so far behind? Yeah. And it's money. It's, money. it's dollars. Right. It's dollars. And you know and what? Cents. They want the least amount of real estate, Correct. the least amount of rent. And what they don't understand is that is not the most important part of the equation. Yeah. Because again, just like this person I was talking about, if they're disengaged, if they're disgruntled, if they're miserable, but they're still working there for the paycheck, they're not productive. Yeah. Well, it's funny. And, and I'll give you an insight of a real conversation I had recently with a client. It's the CEO, CFO I was talking to of a pretty large company. And we were talking about the rent per square foot mm-hmm. at a headquarters they're looking at. Right. And it's much higher than what they pay today. But then I said, what percentage of your p and rent? They said 7%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if this goes up 400%, what does that do? Well, it's eight and a half percent. Okay. I said, transportation study, labor study, all these other studies make huge strides on 70% of your P&L. Mm-hmm. Higher mm-hmm. efficiency, less turnover, right talent, innovation. And I said, what is the value of having one of the right scientists oh, come huge. up with the one product type, the breakthrough that you're looking for? It's huge. It's I priceless. Said, it's priceless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, so are we really concerned about that changing? Or are we concerned about missing this? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the shift that's going on in the industry slowly. We're seeing with corporates yeah. that they're looking at it and they're going, yeah, we could beat this up more and more, but it's three to 5% of the freaking PL. Mm-hmm. No one's getting a special award. The shareholders won't even notice. Not that, you know, every dollar counts, yada, 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 as we improve margins. But the thing is, is don't save a penny to lose a dollar, right? Because we're in a workforce shortage. Yeah. The employee has the largest, loudest voice. Correct. And, and, and we're in a knowledge worker. We, we, the number of industries in our percentage of GDP that comes from goods mm-hmm. is smaller than it comes from services and knowledge work. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So people are the most valuable quote unquote equipment 
that any company has. And I'm not equating people to equipment, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking about it in those terms of capital and labor and how much do you invest in what mm-hmm. to get your return. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is more and more of us are in people business. Commercial real estate colliers, we're in a people business because we deliver service. Yes. Right. Relocation strategies is in a people business. Mm-hmm. Right, you guys don't own the moving vans all the time, right? Like nope, for the most, nope, right? Nope. We're service, your service, service. service. I want to advocate. I want to make your employees happy, your customers happy. Um, I have to say one more statistic because okay. I'm, I'm a beast on these statistics. I love them. Numbers make me happy. So, do you know that only three out of ten employees feel heard? That I is believe. another reason why well, you it, need seven to out of ten quit because they don't like a manager. Three out of ten. But, makes th- sense, but right? three out of 10 don't feel heard. So they don't feel psychological safety to mm-hmm. walk up to you and to say, I can't work in this space because it's too noisy. Or yeah. instead of, I can't, can you help me? Yeah. How can you help fix this? Can you get sound masking? Can you muffle the noise? Can you have a reservable office that I could go in there for two hours or three hours and have a little iPad on the outside of it so that we could schedule it instead of the person I'm talking to where the phone booths or whatever, they're all full all day long because there's no office police. They don't schedule it and people just come and squat all day and there's no rules. Again, going back to structure makes people feel comfortable and safe when it's all gray. Everybody, it's like chaos. So this has been amazing. Good conversations. I know, wonderful, Melissa. So we have two questions we didn't give you beforehand. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. We ask a lot of our guests this. What's it doesn't have to be work. It could be work or personal. Mm-hmm. What is what book or books are you reading right now that are really just kind of or you've read recently that had a really big impact on you, whether that's work or personal? So number one, I'm going to tell you something. Did you know that 80 percent of people don't read the book that they're given? Like I was just at an event. People gave me two books yeah. and he said, do you know that 80% of people don't read the books? <laughs> I, I believe give them? that. 100%. I believe that too. And I literally, <laughs> I literally raised my hand and I said, I'll be honest. That's probably me. Yeah. So I'm going to defer to podcasts. Okay. Okay. Great. Perfect. So Love it. Let's do that. Let's talk about podcasts. So Andrea Butcher, who is a very dear friend of mine, mm-hmm. HRD. Again, we're talking about this warm and fuzzy stuff. Yeah. Mr. Economic guy. It's called being at work. She has a podcast. And she also has a book about leaders that are pivoting. She wrote about me in her book. It's a, it's a plug for her book. But awesome. she, she interviewed 100 people about what was your greatest pivot? How did you do it? You know, why would you recommend? And so, again, she's an HR background. Mm-hmm. And I just follow her. I listen to her podcast. But it's talking about leaders and how they've gone through pivots. And it's fascinating mm. because every leader is different and their pivot is different mm-hmm. and you learn from why they decided to pivot. But I would say to your managers and people like that, it's amazing because you think differently. Again, I don't have an HR degree, yeah. but I am so into HR. I'm so into psychology. I'm so into how people feel, you know, the design and the layouts and the space planning and all that, that comes. But mm. if you don't have an understanding of how this all works. So she did a little facilitation down at our state chamber retreat. We had it at French Lick the last three days and she got up and my favorite, favorite part is she had us break into little groups and she handed out post-its and she said, everybody write one word on what you think your culture is that you set as a leader. What is the one word that you would use? And then what she did is she did a, like a little word wall, like she put all the words on the board and the word I chose was the biggest word. Really? So I'm so like, like I'm spot on. Yay. Or, or they're copying me or whatever. <laughs> but, 
but it was really amazing because so many, and I just posted it on LinkedIn. I posted the word wall like two days ago, but so my word was authentic. Mm. And I know it's because I have a culture of psychological safety. Yeah. Mm. Right. And everybody feels really good. And so the words were all over the board. You know, they were like supportive, collaborative, innovative. And the, but the biggest word on the whole word world was authentic. So there was a lot of leaders. There was, you know, probably a hundred CEOs in the room from the whole state of Indiana for the chamber. And that was the number one word. So I'm like, somebody's doing something right. Cause that, that was really amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's the type of little exercise she did. And she trains managers and helps them. And I have to give a little endless plug to uh, the CEO of AUL. Yeah. Did I just say, well, it's one America that yeah. shows my age. He, <laughs> I know what you meant. But he said that after listening to her podcast, he decided to do some videos and be very authentic hmm. to yeah. his team. It's and if, if you look him up, it, it's amazing. He did a great job and I'm really proud of him because you can tell he was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Right talking about feelings <laughs> and being authentic on this video. Yeah, it's scary. But he said it went viral and everybody was so proud of him because again, it draws people closer right. to yeah. be vulnerable and to say, I don't know how to solve this. Steve, what do you think? Can you yeah. help me? And when people feel like they've been heard and they are a part of something, they just go crazy with loyalty and with productivity and dedication. And People want to help others. We want to reciprocate. Yeah. So if you say, hey, can you help me with this? Mm-hmm. People want to say yes. Yes. Very, there are very few people want to say no. Mm-hmm. Something I learned in sales training years ago. Wow. So it's, 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 it's true though. There's a psychology of that by showing that little bit of vulnerability, mm-hmm. people want to help. It, it, it's so fascinating that it, it, it really brings to the core of our, our, who we are. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I, I love the word authentic. Mm-hmm. I really, I, I'm glad you picked that word. Cause I think it goes along with empathy. It goes along. It's a great theme. So Melissa, one last question before we wrap today. All right. You just want a big proposal. What's the first song you're putting on, whether it's in the car, the first moment <laughs> you get to celebrate, what's your, what's your celebration song? Can I sing it? Sure. Okay. Of course. That girl is on fire. There you go. That's, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. There we Sorry. go. That's your I song. Love I love it. Yes. Love it. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on Urban Foundry. We're going to have to have you on again. This was an amazing episode. Thank you so much for bringing your knowledge and the insights oh, to us. We had a blast. My pleasure. Thank you. All thank right. you. Thanks to all of our listeners. Until next time. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.